0: I don't think I've ever described an episode of my show as eclectic, but I think this is that show. It's going to surprise you. We're going to take some twists and turns, but we're going to start with a celebration of a Christian holiday you may not know about on today's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening here with me. When I look at my prep sheet just now, because guys, I prepared better today. The show is like curated more than some notes I had in my in my head from just things I, I recently saw. That's usually how the show works, by the way. I just hear things either from you, the listener, or out in the world and think, oh, I should talk about that. And then I have a decent memory. It's diminishing as I get a little older, but I, I have a decent memory. I just come to the microphone and go, oh, what was, what was that stuff I was going to talk about? And I just write down like one word for each topic and then I go. Today, I've got a Word document and lots of notes, so this could be like an epic show. But I look down at it as the theme song was playing, and I see Ascension Day, Two State Solution, Mantis Shrimp. Those are three headlines on my outline. It's going to be a different kind of weird show. Uh, I also have a point about hiking again, that I th- something I, I realize and I think will have some interest in it. So it's going to be a good time. Thanks for listening to The Cory Act Show on His Radio Talk 91.9 and 92.9 or wherever you find the podcast. Thank you. We are dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything here on The Cory Act Show. And I am also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. And get this, Beachwood Church meets back at our property in Greenville, South Carolina with some caution. We're going to meet May 10th. So if you are listening to this on the podcast and you listen to it when it first comes out, Midweek, um, we're coming up on Sunday, and I, I would still say you are invited. We are, you know, we're going to take precaution, and we've already given some instruction to our people. But uh, we we have the freedom to get together, and I think we have a we have smart people uh, to not spread anything they might have picked up. And so we're meeting again, and I can not wait. Like it's going to be a good time. Okay, so let's dive in with uh, with starting started with this. If you have your calendars nearby, or if you just have a great memory, I wonder if you would mark your calendar for Thursday, May 21. No, I'm not inviting you to anything. I don't want you to join join a Zoom call. I don't want anything from you. I just want you to know about something you might not know. One of my desires on this show and in my church life, and just my, the, the little bit of influence I have in the world, and maybe you've caught it over the years as I do this show, I wish we still practiced the church calendar. Coming out of Catholicism, from you know, th- three, th- I think it's three thirteen. Constantine declares Christianity as it as, as it was being practiced. I guess the official religion of the Roman Empire, and then they they merge Christianity with a lot of paganism. That's where we get things like Easter and Christmas, and I can give you a bunch of examples. And so then Catholicism contaminates the pure Jesus-following faith that he left us. Th- throughout history, there's been a, a remnant that did not join into that Catholicism, but one of the great things Catholic- Catholicism actually did was establish more of a church calendar. And and I want to say establish. The church was practicing it for hundreds of something like it for hundreds of years before Catholicism. And then Catholicism crystallized it. And then we come into the 1500s and 1600s with the Reformation breaking out of that Catholicism. Most of the movements and Christian denominations still practiced a version of the church calendar. And it's only been in the last 150 to 200 years or so that some group of denominations, including the one I grew up in and the one I'm, I'm even in now, we almost see the church calendar as super-de-duper Catholic-y, and so we don't do Catholic-y things. So I will give you some examples. We come to December every year on this show, and I take you through Advent because I don't want to practice Christmas. Christmas has something to do with Santa. There's a rain there's reindeer involved. Uh, they have their own, like they got Frosty the Snowman. They've got that that little Rudolph. Yeah, they have Rudolph. They have mo- they have their own movies like Elf. Like that's apparently Christmas. Well, I don't practice that. I actually practice Advent, the Advent of God made flesh, and so I take you through. That church calendar. We just came through Easter where I did some content over at CoreyTruax.com and on my Facebook page, even on this show, about uh, Palm Sunday and how that leads to, uh, there's, uh, not, I guess, Ash Wednesday, actually what leads up to Lent, and then there's Lent. I've covered a little bit on Lent before on the show. Then Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Silent Saturday, and then going into Resurrection Sunday. This, this is something I, I wish we would not have done away with because the church has... A calendar. I, I, I bring it up every every time we get to Pentecost and, and we have church on that Sunday. I mention it to our people because the, the day of this culmination where you know, Jesus says, if I go, if I leave, it's better for you. You'll get the Holy Spirit. And just functionally consider how true that is. Jesus was God. Jesus is God made flesh. That does mean he can be in one room at one time. He self-limited access to his physical being on earth. And he says, so when I go, you all get the Holy Spirit. You get my presence with you equally. And so uh, that's, you know, and Pentecost come. Pentecost uh, uh, commemorates the Holy Spirit coming to Jesus' people. And so I wish we practiced it. May 21st, we are going to practice together Ascension Day. You know, we hear often in our creeds, in faith statements, that you, we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, or even his his advent, death, burial, and resurrection. And even across this this time that we're in in the church calendar, we shouldn't have forgotten about forgotten about Easter so quickly. In the olden days, what you do after Easter is you recognize Jesus meeting with his people that. There was the woman at the tomb, and then there was Thomas and touching his side. There was uh, the, the road to Emmaus, and Jesus spent time in his resurrected body with his people leading up to then Ascension Day, where Acts tells us that he went up in a cloud of glory. That if you get it in the original language, that's what the cloud is. I think we've, we've painted it because the English language how we say it. That he went up and it was like a cloudy day. And they just stopped seeing him. That's not the case at all. It probably was clear skies, clear as can be. But some kind of glory cloud took him out of their sight on that hillside. And so, this Ascension Day is something that the church used to celebrate for, for a few reasons. One is what I, I just said. I just said, you, you get the Holy Spirit. But th- that, the message he gives to his followers on Ascension Day is the message he gave to us. As he's about to ascend into heaven, the disciples ask, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? So even after all this time, they barely get it. If they get it at all, they, they ask Jesus after he defeats sin and death. Hey, um, that thing that David and Saul and Solomon had, can we have that back? Can we have the kingdom back, please? You're going to do that? And Jesus' was, Jesus's response was, oh, you'll have power. And it was almost like uh, he's, he, it's a conversation there. They didn't ask for it directly. They're not saying we want political power in a kingdom. But he's saying to them, yeah, you'll have power to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth or to the ends of the earth. It is as if the disciples there, and sometimes us too, are asking for something much too small they're there asking, hey, are you going to give us a kingdom in these square miles of this place, this land? Jesus' response is sort of, no, I'm going to give you something much better. Why are you shooting so low? The kingdom of God is going to be timeless, and it's going to be spaceless. It's going to be everywhere. And so this Ascension Day, we remember it because we get the Holy Spirit just a little while later with, the Pentecost, with Pentecost. We remember it because it is, it is Jesus telling us what the kingdom of God is going to be. It's going to be timeless and spaceless. I'm a good Baptist, so there has to be a third point. And that, that third point is then his his commission. You know, He, he goes into heaven and tells us that's, that's what we're all here to do. That's our mission statement. We build the church. We build the kingdom of God in our own homes, in our own hearts, and in the nations. And so celebrate Ascension Day, guys. I don't know how you want to do that, but I, w- I think you should celebrate it in your house on that Thursday. Bring it up with your kids. If you've got roommates, whatever your situation is. Maybe read that portion of Acts and recognize it. I really think we should observe these holidays. It's, it's one of the strengths of the Jewish people throughout time and space. No matter where the Jews have been in the world, they've always been a peculiar people. So if you've been a Jewish person in Brooklyn or a Jewish person in L.A., and then that the Jewish person in Moscow or the Jewish person in France, they all get to be peculiar no matter what culture they're in, often because of their holidays. If you see how many holidays are on the Jewish calendar, uh, Ben Shapiro, who is a practicing Jew, has made this joke. You wonder how like, they even have jobs because there's a lot of holidays to, to celebrate. But consider what it does for them. It makes them a peculiar people so that no matter where you are, no matter the time period, no matter the place, you're celebrating stuff that no one else is celebrating. So if, if some a- alien, for uh, let's, not, let's not do that one, Let's some foreigner comes to the United States and sees July 4th come and sees a lot of festivals and fairs and then we see fireworks once it gets dark and sees a lot of people with boats strapped to their truck and they're heading to the, heading to the lake and they, that's going to cause a question, hey, what's... What's happening? What's this thing that you're, you're practicing? Oh, this is Independence Day. We're, we're celebrating that we declared our independence from a colonial government and then eventually won our independence in the Revolutionary War. It's Independence Day. And so you, you get to have this marker that asks the question, well, what are you marking? And if we were a people that would do more of that, really practice the holidays in some public way, then it does bring the question, Oh what are you guys doing? What is what's that? Oh it's Ascension Day. Okay, well what's Ascension Day? Uh, this is when Jesus goes into heaven. Let me tell you about Ascension Day. Let me tell you about Pentecost. In that, in that way we get to be peculiar, like that's like the scripture says we're called to be a peculiar people, a different people. And that the, the Jews, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob the the chosen people of God chosen to bring us Christ. Ultimately, the point the point of that line is to bring us Christ and to bring everyone in into Christ. All, all salvation only through Him. That that the God's people for thousands of years have been marking themselves different in every culture they've been in by practicing these things. Like we we should be a a little weird uh, in every, in every culture we're in. In we shouldn't fit in. In, uh, anywhere except in the kingdom of God. You know, I, I think about the things that actually mark my life. I've mentioned on the show before, When I the first time I hear a marching band in the distance late in the summer, or the first time I hear, it's obviously the sound of pads hitting pads or helmets hitting helmets. It always means something to me. Like, I know football is coming. I think about the, the holidays that mark us as Americans. So Independence Day and... Memorial Day and Labor Day. Well, we have these guys, and it's not just December and April. It's not just, quote, Christmas and Easter. Like We have this ability to be a marked and different people all the time. And so, let me just encourage you. May 21st, Ascension Day. Find some way to recognize it and celebrate it and be a peculiar people. When we come back, I got... A short message from a listener regarding Israel and a two-state solution. I want to work through that together, and then I have exciting thoughts, I promise you, about both the mantis shrimp, its just a thing that lives in the ocean, and also a point I came up with while hiking. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of The Cory Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Thank you for sticking with us. You can connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there, and I'd love to have you follow along. Now, I'm not getting political, I promise. I told you the show is quite eclectic, and I don't know how political it'll get today at all. But I I need to give you the origin story of what we're about to talk about. Um, I got a message from Will. I think Will listens to the show. I know he follows along on social media, but I think he listens to the show. And I, uh, I I put out on Twitter and on Facebook that I was in, um, I'm in for a presidential campaign. Like, probably not boisterously cheerleading along, but I, I would love to be able to vote for someone in November. And I can't in good conscience vote for Joe Biden. Or I can't imagine a Democrat they could put up that would be acceptable uh, to me. Um, and I don't, I don't want to be associated with the current White House, even though the policy has been mostly good. Uh, there's there's that chief character issue that I I struggle with, and I could go. I don't want to get into all that. But Justin Amash, he's a former representative from Michigan who was when he was in the uh, when he was in the House, he was one of my favorites. He was he's a longtime favorite of mine, and he is seeking the Libertarian Party. Uh, nomination and if he if he wins it and he's on the ballot in november i'm voting i'm voting for that guy that guy's great he is a a pro-life libertarian so if, you know if immediately met some of you went oh libertarian is he is he pro pro abortion no he's not um because the the libertarian one of the libertarian themes one of its fundamental philosophies is lack of force and non-violence we don't like to force people into things i'm, I'm not i can't be called a libertarian they wouldn't let me the libertarians would would not let me call myself that, but uh, the libertarian thought is: don't force people to do stuff and don't hurt them. No, vi- no violence. And abortion is that it's it's violence. So Justin Amash, running for president, he will primarily be about putting the fiscal house in order, which is a big deal to me. Getting deficits and debt under control, and the, and the spending because that's we we've got to stop spending what we at the level we are spending and he you know he'll talk about taxes a bunch and then probably states rights the the idea that we the federal government's too large and lumbering and it's it's not made to govern this many people in the granular way that it does so i put it out there justin amash that's my guy and will responds with a totally fair concern that he is for justin amash is for a two state solution when it comes to israel and Palestine, however it is you like to say that. I know some folks are quite picky about not calling it Palestine as if it's not a land. But I'm fine with calling it Palestine, Israel and Palestine both having a spot. Now, I, I suspect in this audience there's probably not strong opinions on this, but I think we should talk through it. There is a, a section of theology that I grew up in that talks about supporting the country of Israel, the the political Israel of today, the form of the 1950s, as a particularly important thing for the Christian that the Jesus follower needs to uh, needs to support politicians, support policies that are all that are a, that are pro Israel. I want to I want to address that theology in a moment, but first philosophically like even outside of my own theology there's lots of reasons to be supportive of Israel from an American standpoint as a policy standpoint in that neighborhood of the world they are one of I think only two democracies of where the people get to rule in some way they get to vote in that section of the world they're really the only American ally both ideologically and practically so they're helpful to us in terms of some, some practical things we do there in the area militarily. But also, Israel is a—even though they're in the Middle East, they are westernized in a, in a large way. So they're the Western culture, Enlightenment culture, that stuff, because the Enlightenment is not an intellectual movement in the Middle East, And so uh, they're culturally an ally, they're militarily an ally, and I, politically, ideologically, I support Israel. Not in any different way, though, that I support Canada. Or I would support countries that are generally aligned with our values. Now, there is a theological group that I love deeply. People that I love deeply believe what I'm about to say. And they might be right. I, do, I would argue they're not, and I, I have a pretty good argument, but they would say that that thing you read in Exodus and a few other places, God says to, to Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, that that is specifically applied to us, that if you as an American support blessing Israel, the Lord will bless you. And if you are part of politicians and movements that would curse Israel or do anything negative to them, God will curse you. I, I don't believe that. I'm just going to say that with a lot of clarity. I, I don't think if, quote, America turned its back on Israel, the one that we have right now in a geographic location on the map, that it would bring the judgment of God on, on us, that it's not bringing a curse. I, I, I'm trying to be charitable. I think that the testimony of Scripture... We can go to Galatians on this. We can get into Romans, I guess that's nine or 10. I I, I would argue that the, the point of Israel, the point of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is ultimately to give us Jesus. It's always been about him. It's, it's being Christocentric is how we talk about reading the scripture. It's, it's all written of him. That's what he's, Jesus even says of himself on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. He goes back through the law and the prophets, and he shows them how the entire book is written of him. He is what David was pointing to, Noah was pointing to, even Adam was pointing to. Everything's pointing to something better. That one thing is Jesus. He is the pinnacle of all time and creation. And the point of Israel was Jesus. It's not its own entity. And so now, I would argue, Israel is all of us who believe, all of us who are believing in Jesus. That sometimes gets called replacement theology, like the church replaced Israel. That's not at all what I'm arguing. I'm saying there's only ever been the one thing. There's only ever been the one thing, those who would be in Christ, before his incarnation and after. And so we're all one group. We're all one thing, in Christ or out. That's the the two options. And so that area of the world that's currently called Israel, it's a place that's admirable. They've achieved a ton. They've overcome a ton. I believe they deserve the support as an ally, and an ideological friend in the Middle East. But I, I would make no political decision about who I support based on how they feel about Israel from that theological standpoint. So... Let me come back to then the two state solution. So I take that theology, and I take the ideology that it's a Israel's a great place in the in the Middle East, and say, yeah, I fully support Israel, and I fully support a a two state solution. I'm totally okay with Justin Amash being for that because I'm for that. I I don't think I could be for a. A split Jerusalem. That's a big. That's a. That's hard. I believe the in Islam they don't even call Jerusalem. They call it Al Quds. I think is the name of of the of the city that they call it. Uh, But Jerusalem is the capital, not Tel Aviv. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It is the religious and it needs to be the political capital of Israel, not Tel Aviv. And so I'm I'm all for. I mean, Palestinians aren't. Evil people, they're people just like me and you. They've got a ton of challenges there. I'm not blaming Israel for those challenges, but Palestine Palestinians are in a rough spot. And whether they get some land from Jordan or get some land from Israel, they are a distinct people group that want their own land and their own government and to self-rule. And I, I'm for humans having that, having their own self-rule. Now, Israel's under no compulsion. I don't think they... The leaders of Israel have no need to give them anything, to give the Palestinians anything. If they do, it would be a concession to create peace. And I, I'm even acknowledging—I can't remember who very famously said this—but one diplomat or someone in the foreign policy world is quoted as saying once, "If if Israel had basically if Israel had no no weapons." Israel would be gone tomorrow. If the Palestinians had no weapons, nothing would change. And there is, I think there is some truth there about aggression. There is certainly some truth ideologically that in some some parts of the Palestinian movement, they will say from the river, from the Jordan River to the sea, I guess that's the Sea of Galilee or the Dead Sea, one or the other, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. Like they're talking about wiping out the Jews. And so there's evil ideologies there, no question. But for the two-state solution thing, I, I'm going to leave it there. We'll move on. That there's some theology that I, I disagree with that leads a lot of people into thinking you, you can't be for two-state solution. I think that theology is is mistaken. As a matter of policy, Israel is an ideological friend, and so we want to be for them. And for that reason, because they're a good ally, not for a theological reason. And in that vein... Having a situation where Palestinians can get into a, a situation where they can have self-rule would be good. And we're we're probably, we the United States are probably going to have to help facilitate that if it is ever to come to pass. So, Will, thank you for the email. If you have thoughts on that, if you want to tell me why you think I'm wrong about anything I just said, or or even better, tell me why I'm right. I'm just kidding. I actually love being disagreed with. It makes for much better radio. You can reach out to the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You can also reach the show at Show at gmail.com. Show at gmail.com. Let's stick with one piece of listener feedback for one second, and then I want to move on to this mantis shrimp thing that I learned. I got a direct message from someone who's written to the show a couple times, a friend, smart guy named Zach. And Zach, I thought, had a really good balance on how we handle COVID nineteen personally, not policy prescriptions. It's like just like uh, what's my personal responsibility? Because I've got to admit, I have, I have not been much for precaution. I mean, early on when there was projections that it could be a million or two million people, I definitely found myself self like not wanting to touch unnecessary surfaces when I went into QT to the gas station there. I did find myself getting like disinfectant in a little bottle and when I would pump gas or when I would come in or out of a, a grocery store, I was doing that. I have even noticed of myself, I've stopped. I stopped doing that. So there's there's some caution to take. And so anyway, I, um, I want to read from Zach because I thought what he said was, was really smart. He said, I think that until I am vaccinated or I get a reliable antigen test to prove my immunity, that I have a personal responsibility to act as if I may be an asymptomatic care carrier of the virus and not only protect myself from others, but also to take precautions to protect others from me. I think that's fair. Um, you know, last week on the show, I said, th- People have to take responsibility for their own actions, and if they go out in public, they, they have to be responsible. Like you, you've now taken a risk, and you take that upon yourself. I believe that, and I also believe what Zach said: that as we're doing that, as we ch- choose to take the risk to go out, we try to love our neighbor as ourselves by doing what he just said. Until I don't have a, until I have a reason not to. I'm going to assume I might be carrying something that could hurt someone else. So I want to be cautious about how I behave, whether or not I wear a mask in, in groups and whether I and, and, how, and how I operate in the world. And I think Zach had a really good balance on that. And so thank you for writing into the show. Again, you can be like Zach. You can be like Will. You can write into the show at courtreactshowatgmo.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You know, what's interesting is it occurred to me that it's mostly women who write into the show. And so to have two dudes on the same show, way to go, fellas. I appreciate that. Let's do this mantis shrimp thing. So I uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't know uh, how many more of podcasts you listen to but than the Corey Truax show, but I listen to a lot of them. And now that I'm, quote, stuck at home, I, I walk the dogs twice a day now. So I, that gives me more podcast listening time. I listen to podcasts while, or sermons, while working out, cutting, cutting the grass, cleaning the house, doing laundry. I'm a podcast listening machine. And I listened to a podcast that taught me about the mantis shrimp. And I've got to tell you what I learned. Do you ever have that feeling too, by the way? Like, I learned a new thing. I must tell someone because we're really excited about what we learn. That's one of my personality traits. When I learn something new, I've got to tell somebody. And as I was learning about this, it led me down uh, my brain does this. Synapses fire, thoughts connect, information starts to connect. And when this rabbit trail is actually over, I think you're going to look back on it and go, man, you're kind of weird. Like your, your brain works a little weird. Okay, so let's get started. There's apparently this thing that leaves, lives pretty deep in the ocean called a mantis shrimp. And it has, a, the best we understand scientifically, the most advanced eyes of any creature on this planet. For the human eye, we have three types of photoreceptors. We, we can see, are sensitive, to red, green, and blue. And our brain does the, the work to construct the colors that we're seeing. Just as, as an example of this, you know, we see white... But white is actually the presence of every color. But our brain is processing it for us so that we don't see every color. We are just seeing white. And so we we have these decent eyes. I don't. My eyes are terrible. But the we have this cool thing, the eyeball and all of its mechanics. And it, it's incredible intricacy and in how it connects to the brain. And it creates a world for us. Or at least our perception of the world. That's with our three photoreceptor cell types the mantis shrimp shrimp depending on subspecies has between 12 and 16 so they are three six nine twelve four or five times more advanced in what they can see compared to us and so the question then becomes like what what does it what does it look like and we're we're trying to figure that out in the scientific world. What, what are they seeing? But when I heard that, that they are genuinely seeing a world that we don't see. They're they're Also, their eyes can move independently of one another, where ours, well, most of the time, they're not supposed to move independently of one another. And, and so the same way that we, we know with dogs, apparently they, they don't have the same color range that we do. Like some people say dogs see in gray. So they're basically colorblind. And I've had... I actually had a friend. He was a guitarist in a band I used to be in. He said he was colorblind, and I believed him. And he had to learn to drive uh, based on... When it came to stoplights, which light was the bottom one and which one was the top one. Not was red and green. So bottom light meant go. Top light meant stop. And then he had to learn the left to right lights that are like downtown Greenville sometimes. So anyway... The, this mantis shrimp can see the, the same way that we can see the world such more so much more vividly than our dogs. The, these guys can see the world so much more vividly. And it's an incredible creation sitting there on the bottom of the ocean and we're learning more about them. Here's what it made my imagination immediately do. I love C.S. Lewis. He's got some theological differences from me, but man, I love that guy. What a creative thinker. He spent a lot of time on... One of my favorite topics, and that is what the next world is going to be like, what the kingdom of God is when it comes in full, because I know that none of us are at all attached to or charged up by what Renaissance painters gave us. The idea of the next world being somewhat disembodied or ethereal, that it's got clouds that you float on. no, that's not what the Lord has promised us. The Lord made a good world. It was very physical. It was very concrete. It was in a garden. That's the picture we're given. And so when we get the new world, we get something very physical. Even Jesus, who said he was he was the first of the the newly resurrected bodies, well, Jesus came and ate fish. People touched his side. He wasn't he wasn't a spiritual being. He was very physical. And one of the things that C.S. Lewis surmised is here we are in our little brains and our little bodies where we think we have these five senses. And he has he brought up, uh, his, his first imagination was, well, what if our senses perfect, like our ability to see, smell, hear, that the new body that we get is just going to be at, at its peak performance for those things. And then he further surmised and imagined, wait, 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 what if I'm being too small? What if I don't just have five perfected senses? What if we have like 25 senses? like we don't even know. We don't we don't even know what we're getting when we get there. Even our redeemed imaginations are just like, well maybe I can see better. And CS Lewis is maybe you can sm- like smell sounds. Maybe they interconnect in some way. Like what if and maybe get all kinds of new types of, of senses. And so, well, I heard about this mantis shrimp and then connected that to CS Lewis where what kind of bodies are we getting? Well, I thought What if we can, like, see like them? What if that's it? And maybe my imagination is too small that we're going to see new colors. We're going to see the world, very literally see the world the way God intended for it in its perfection and that our dim eyes are not seeing. And that led me to, so my synapses are firing, mantis shrimp to how different our bodies will be in the new heaven and new earth. And then I started thinking about a real a real big problem in the Bible when we talk about heaven and earth and how people get confused about those words. And that's what we're going to do when we come back. When you read heaven and earth in your Bible, I think there's some cultural connotations we grew up on that it's very unhelpful when we're trying to think about our theology and our worldview. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey True Act Show. <music> I'm presenting this information that started with a mantis shrimp I'm also realizing how much I talk to myself don't we all I, I'm not the only one right don't we all just talk to ourselves all the time and I'm, I'm probably my favorite conversationalist because I, I don't get annoyed with myself like I bet you guys would like because my brain does this thing where I, oh I thought of a thing and that connects to this thing and that connects to this thing and you just keep going further away from the original point point. and that's what we're doing right now on the show it's a ton of fun so I learned about a mantis shrimp that has super eyes and it started making me think about our sense, our new senses when we get past this this earth, this, this broken, flawed thing, broken by sin. When we get the new heavens and the new earth, what's that going to be like with our eyes and senses and bodies? And that made me think about the new heavens and new earth and something I've been wanting to talk to you about for a while about the problems around those words when we read them in our English Bibles. I've covered this a little on the show, but I want to get a little more specific on the issues that it causes. Not all the time, but a lot of the time that you read heaven and earth in your Bible, the more accurate word that should be used is sky and ground. When you read heaven in your Bible, often see if you can put the word sky in there and would make more sense, and you'll actually find the Bible starting to make more sense. When you see earth, not every time, but a lot of times, if you'll replace that with ground, the ground below me, you'll see a lot of things make more sense. One easy uh, uh, example here. Some skeptics of the faith, they will bring up how how all the there'll be a verse about all the peoples of the earth having been destroyed or something. All the peoples of the the peoples of the earth having something happen to them, and then verses later or chapters later, those those people are st- the people are still there. Well, that's because that word meant land. All the peoples of that land. it's it's like America is a land and Canada is a land and Mexico is a land. All the peoples of that land had it had that thing happen to them, and then. Now we're not talking we're not talking about the whole earth. Again, it's really important to recognize that the biblical authors don't know what the earth is. They have no context for the globe, they have no context for the solar system. They just know when they for example call Yahweh the maker of heaven and earth. That it causes another issue so one of the issues I just brought up there is some people think the bible contradicts itself because they don't understand that earth means ground. It doesn't mean the entire planet. But maker of heaven and earth. What's that person saying in the Bible? Well, they're saying the maker of what's up there and what's down here. The maker of what I look up and see and the maker of the thing I'm walking on. He's the maker of heaven and earth. But we, we read it. I think what happened, I know what happened to me growing up. Maker of heaven and earth became. Maker of the unseen things, the secret world, heaven and the maker of earth, this This physical world. And it ended up creating this false dichotomy that the Bible doesn't actually teach us, and that's not helpful. God did not make a heaven for us to go to. He's bringing heaven here. Like, we're we're getting Eden back. We're getting a perfected creation. It's very real. We get to enjoy it. And so then we, because we create this thing of heaven and earth, because we don't understand it typically means sky and ground— It starts to create theologies of escapism. I want to escape this physical world, get away from this earth and get to heaven. Well, heaven is coming to earth. That's what the Bible gives us in its full narrative. When God created man and put him in the earth, it was good. And that's where he wants us in a very physical reality. We're not escaping to anything. It's, there's theological consequences to that, where we start to live like we just want to get out, of, want to get out of here. Well, no, we don't. We don't want to get out of here. Get out of here. We want heaven to come here, and and we believe that the kingdom of God is actually already here in part, and so we can make the world better. It doesn't have to get worse. It doesn't have to. There are entire theologies built around that. That everything has to get terrible so that Jesus can come and rescue us. First, everything is terrible, guys. You are you living in 2020. And the world's been through even worse times than we've than we're in now. Like we, we do need rescue, and Jesus is coming to rescue. But while we wait, while he tarries, we actually can make the, the world better because we're not trying to escape earth and get to heaven. And so even that language, we say heaven and earth, it's created in us false dichotomies that aren't actually there. It creates even the idea I, I read I talked to you earlier, this episode about Jesus ascended into heaven. It literally just means he's he went up in the sky. And so we start to think it starts to get a create a creation of our head. He left the physical realm and went to the spiritual realm, and that's where we all want to go be. No, he just went up in the sky. That's all he did. That's what, that, that's what that word means. And Jesus ascended into the sky. That's all. Uh, so don't create a whole other world that looks like harps and gold and babies and clouds like that. Don't create that world. We. I, the one I've talked about before, it creates a problem in Genesis itself. I won't spend a lot of time on it because I've spent a lot of time on it previously. Moses writes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we read it again as all things seen and all things unseen. He, he created a, a world for him to live in and a world for us to live in. And all that really says is in the beginning, God created the sky and the ground. That's what it says. And so we have this dichotomy that God has his space and we have our space and they're separate. That was not the plan. That was not the goal. He didn't have his own space and we had a space. The space was he was coming to be with us. He walked in the garden in the cool of the day with his people. It's, it's they're, the, the two are becoming one. They're overlaid, heaven and earth, the concept of God's space and our space, but we made it worse by reading the words "heaven and earth" as where God is and where the spiritual stuff is, and then where the physical stuff is. When it really just means sky and, and sky and dirt, sky and ground. Okay, so that's how that happened. Mantis shrimp, great eyes, cool creature. Hey, that makes me think about how we're going to be in the new heavens and new earth. Oh, people read those words wrong, and so there you go. That's how my that's how my brain works. Uh, two other topics for the show today. I'm going to go one a little fast, and if I have listeners who resent this, I need you to tell me, because I'll come back and revisit it. I pledged to you over a month ago that I was going to more fully address Rhett and Link, the two YouTubers. I played the audio on this show of the story of Rhett, this guy who deconverted, who left the faith. And I was going to more fully address those Arguments he made, the concerns he made. I've actually oddly been busier while working at home. I don't know how that happened, but my schedule is more full of work stuff. And I've not gotten around to it. I still want to. But because I did pledge it to you, I did want to give a a little bit more content. Because I spent, I think, 15 minutes on it. And so I want to add to that here a few more minutes as my thinking has crystallized around that. So if you don't recall, Rhett grew up a lot like in, in the system that I'm in now the theological system I'm in now. I didn't grow up in the system I'm in now. And deconverted. Uh, had had some questions. The, the route he took was, first, questions around what he was being taught about evolution. And then from evolution, it was... I think he took one more... It was evolution, and then it was like archaeology. And then it was some... He considered Bible contradictions in certain places. And then it went to Jesus and the Gospels himself, and it was at that point that he deconverted. So that was, um, I feel like there was more, but the, the, those were the steps. It started with, I object to the teachings around creation, and then, oh yeah, it was the flood. So creation, flood, then creation, evolution, flood, Then he did the archaeology thing, then got into the Bible and what he considered to be contradictions there, and then landed finally with the Jesus thing. Here's my footnoted, excuse me, not footnoted, this is my cliff note reaction. Ultimately, with all of the arguments on creation evolution, archaeological record, at least those topics, on those topics, I don't think anyone's ever going to change their mind someone has their predisposition they've already made their mind up there's a god or there's not one and then they're going to see the good arguments for their position i i think that's i i even think that's true of me and I, I think i'm a fairly fair-minded person in evaluating information but but i also think that my eyes have been opened i think i think the lord has granted me to see the to see the truth and so when i Think about Rhett. Well, the, the conclusion was already there. He was unconverted. He wasn't a believer. And he, he thinks of himself as, his higher, his higher uh, identity as truth seeker. And so the conclusion was already there. He was just going about getting the information to justify his conclusion. And cr- uh, p- people who are believers do that too. They know what the what the end is, they know the end, they know the answer. and they just go about trying to get information to affirm what they all what, what the conclusion already is. So that's I think it's true of both sides of these things, those who are converted and those who are deconverted. I think that's true. But then second, when it comes to worldview, I there, there, there's a reason he went that way because if you start with Jesus and try to go the other direction, the deconversion is not going to be a thing. So you start poking some holes in the in the faith you you think you are and you end up at Jesus and you're you more easily be able to throw that out. But what's interesting is his arguments progressively got worse over the time. Because for example, I I have a lot of empathy and sympathy for the creation evolution arguments that he made. But when you end with the 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 Gospels and Bart Ehrman, the the anti Christian guy who tries to poke holes in the Gospels, that stuff really is garbage. Bart Ehrman's arguments are atrociously immature, and we can slap a Ph.D. on the guy from U.N.C. Chapel Hill, but those are very bad arguments. Just and they're dishonest. Just as an example, we we come to the Gospels, and Bart Ehrman is willing to say there are tens of thousands of textual discrepancies. In, the, in the, not the, not the original autographs, but like the manuscripts that we do have. How can you trust something with tens of thousands of mistakes? And what he actually means is, and he'll admit this in debate settings, 99% of them are the equivalent of a misspelling, having a comma in the wrong place or an apostrophe in the wrong place. Like, it's not like there's manuscripts out there that say, yeah, he didn't die, he didn't rise from the dead, he's still dead. No, it's just... They, one of them wrote Peter, James, and John, and the other one wrote James, Peter, and John. Come on, man! It doesn't actually change the, the fundamental meaning. And so he had already gotten to a point where the weakest, dumbest arguments, that's the ones of Bart Ehrman around the Gospels, he led up to that so he was able to get pushed over the edge. But if we start people with Jesus, start people with the centerpiece of all creation and the reason all things exist, start with Jesus and his story it is historically accurate. The The text that we have around it have been supernaturally, but also logically and rationally preserved. If we start with Jesus, we can wrestle with the other stuff. You can wrestle with the flood and archaeology and all that. But my biggest response is start with Jesus for the deconverted. Go back to Jesus and work from there. Last thought. I went, I've been hiking a lot. I mentioned that here recently. And I got a life lesson for you from one of my hiking trips. There was, an, there's an app that I use for these hikes and it, it it tells you lots of information and I wanted to go see Rocky Bottom Falls and so I went and took a very easy trail. It was one that the state park system had set up. It had all kinds of bridges and decorative things as you go and creative things to walk over and railings and what you do is take about a mile and a half, little stroll barely uphill and you end up at a platform where you can look out at Rocky Bottom Falls, and you're hundreds and hundreds of yards away, but you can even just feel a little bit of the mist, and you get to see this big waterfall. It was an easy walk and a pretty good payoff. You could see a waterfall from pretty far away. And then there was the app telling me that there is a second trail. It's, it's totally tor- terribly overgrown. It's all downhill, so that means you have to come up about 800 feet on your way out. And then I took that second trail. And guys, I'm not an outdoorsman. There were a couple times where I probably took some risks I shouldn't have taken in getting down to the bottom. But oh, the payoff. What an incredible thing to be at the bottom of that thing. And there's a life lesson there. Easy things often lead to payoffs, but they're okay. But there are things that some of us need to do that are hard. And the payoff is so much better. I know there's things in my own life. Maybe there's some for you. There's some things that we need to get done, some things we need to do, and they're hard. But you can count on the payoff will be worth it. Thanks for listening to the Core True Act Show, everybody. I'll be back with another new edition of it next week. Until then, peace and love.